welcome to episode 52 of the Wasting Time podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris, as ever. I'm here with Nick. How are you, Nick? Are you all right? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Nice chilled weekend ahead. So, Although, I guess all the weekends over the next few weeks are going to be quite chilled, really. <laughs> I, think, I think that's going to be the theme, yeah, yeah. Making the most of outdoor time, though. So I guess that's about all we can do, isn't it? Really. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. What's uh, what's what's the streets of London like at the moment? Like, are they are they quiet? Quite busy? Or? No, quite busy to be honest. Busier than last time around. Yeah, it's just a case of obviously that like the pubs and the and the um, non-essential shops are closed. Apart from that, things look pretty normal. How's it up there? Yeah, same, same. To be fair, like the roads are still busy and everyone's still going about their business. But yeah, I suppose yeah. it's all the shops and pubs closed. So I guess the evenings are quite quietens down quite a bit. But yeah, exactly, exactly. We'll see. We'll see where where we are in a couple of weeks. Yeah, this vaccine's closer though, right? So exactly. So we've got we've got a, we've got a, certainly a glimmer of hope at the minute. So that glimmer of hope for your wedding potentially as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. It was due. It was due to be your stag do this weekend as well, wasn't it? Yeah, this would have been my stag do. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's yeah, a bit of a shame, but I'm pretty used to the fact that it wasn't going to happen this weekend because you know we've known for some time that we wouldn't have been able to do these things well we can there, have so. a little virtual podcast i do i've got a beer anyway yeah so. i've got one too so there cheers to that <laughs> moving on a bit should we i mean there's a few like new releases i'd like to get into and stuff but i'm wondering maybe we'll leave that for the next episode or we could do a short in between episode if anyone if anyone cares what we think about stuff just because this is quite a long interview and like it might might make sense just to get get straight into it Unless yeah, there's makes, anything you're burning to discuss right now. No, it makes sense to me. I think we've got um, a couple of plans, haven't we, for a, for a few episodes coming up anyway. So yeah, that's, exactly. That's just yeah. That's yeah, just so for our listeners, yeah, yeah, just just keep following us, and we'll have we'll have some more stuff coming out soon. Uh, yeah, so today we had um, Will Pugh, who's the frontman of the band Cartel. Uh, he's also quite a successful producer working with a lot of other artists at this point he's also at the time of recording he's been effectively the fifth member of newfound glory worked on their last record with them uh, which we discussed about and uh, he, he's like their second live guitarist so yeah with that said here's our chat with him i guess let's start with the basics how, how was how was halloween last night Halloween was great um you know the kid got to dress up as elsa for like the third year in a row <laughs> and right, then okay. uh <laughs> So, yeah, in our neighborhood, you know, it's kind of, um, I'm a little out in the suburbs and our neighborhood's like one of the only like subdivisions um, around. So, you know, a lot of the, you know, people that, you know, just live like right on the street and don't have like the neighborhood thing going on, um, more out in the country a little bit, they, uh, they all come into the neighborhood. So, you know, we just put candy out on tables with individual bags just, you know, for COVID reasons and, uh I don't know. It was, it was actually more fun because, like, you could kind of move around a lot quicker rather than having to go up to somebody's house and ring the doorbell and wait, you know. And then, like, kids are waiting in line to do the same thing. It's just like, there's a table, there's candy, let's get to business. How many kids do you have? Just one. She's four now, did you say? She's four, yeah, yeah. She'll okay. be five in February. So Okay. Like, obviously, you know, we just want to get into, like, certainly the, the, the history of cartel a little bit. But, like, before we do that, I just want to like talk about what kind of what you're up to at the minute like a few of the projects you've been on 
been working on recently because i know you had that mm. that um ep come out recently and stuff and then you've got mm-hmm. all of your production work you do um but just want to kick off a little bit by just asking about the whole um stuff you've been doing with newfound gloria it, you know it looks like you've been doing quite a lot with them the last couple of years but you did that live stream with them recently which i was yeah. just actually re-watching it just before i came on this call um nice. yeah how, that, how was that experience i mean it's crazy um I mean, you know, Cartels toured with Newfound three times, right? Twice. I forgot, I can't remember. Yeah, no, it's yeah. yeah. We did two full tours, and then um, we've done Warp Tour. One second, daughter's walking in. Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> Daddy's on a call. Remember? Um, 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 I'm, 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 <laughs> um, I'm. You want a pouch? You know where to get it. Remember, it's in the pantry. Can you get it? Please. Okay. All right. You need me? Well, Daddy's doing the call right now. I can. I want more milk. You want more milk? Um, can you bring me the milk and your cup? It's the day after all the all the candy, is it? She's feeling on the you know on the other side of it now. Yeah. yeah. My, exactly. And my wife is uh, uh, my wife's out uh doing her Sunday run, um. She's like okay. a very big overachiever and runs like 13 or 14 miles every Sunday morning. Okay. You got to bring me your book. Oh, wow, too. that's impressive. Yeah, to, man, it makes me feel like a slob. Um, but she <laughs> she does that every Sunday morning, so it's like daddy daughter time. But um, usually she's back, you know, by the time we would have started this, which scheduling this time. But um, right. it just didn't work out. So it's like, oh well, <laughs> we'll just do it live, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's the newfound glory thing is funny because like, you know, we toured with them a couple times, and then you know, obviously knew them really well from that. We played some warp tour stuff, yeah, um, with them, and then uh, not warp tour, just like festivals in general. Mm-hmm. So you know, they were like the first band in the scene that I ever really listened to. You know, I started off with hardcore, like that's what I'm, all my friends um, in. Can you put this back in the refrigerator, please? All my friends in high school that we were all into music, like they sort of got me into the underground per se, because you know, like '90s rocks, kind of what yeah. I grew up on. So, like you know, Smashing Pumpkins and Three Eleven and Pearl Jam and all that stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. And then they were like, "Yo, have you heard of Earth Crisis?" <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" And I'm like, "Hardcore, dude." And so, like you know, we're jumping into hardcore music, and then that was kind of like, okay, this is, this is very heavy. Like I dig it. There's riffs and they're like, you know, it's kind of learning about like the culture or subculture. Um, so, you know, then it was like, oh, well, like, have you heard newfound glory? And it was like, huh? It's like, a suit. it's a singer from shy Halud, like has like this pop band. And I was like, pop band. They're like, well, you know, like pop punk, like he put, he puts like hardcore breakdowns in. I was like, oh, and then, uh, found glory. It was just like, what? um yeah nothing gold can stay is kind of where i jumped on the bandwagon um so immediately it was just like oh yeah like this is this is exactly the kind of music i want to listen to like you know i was a fan of blink you know and all that so like you know the more mainstream punk um if that's a word (laughs) or a term i mean they you know so then like just kind of hearing that felt like it was new it was groundbreaking and like i feel like i've always musically i've always sort of leaned more towards the stuff that was new different pushing boundaries versus stuff that was like more like you know um was it like universal in the sense you know like everybody loves mariah carey like well of course how do you not like mariah carey she can sing you know um <laughs> yeah but 
as far as like, a, oh, no, no, I love Mariah Carey. Like, have you heard these chord changes and progressions and like this production? I'm like, man, I can't like, <laughs> you know, like this doesn't make my brain, you know, do things the way that, um, you know, artists that sort of push the boundary. And, you know, for the time, you know, 1999, I think it was in 99 when I got into it. Yeah. So, you know, in 99, like Newfound Glory was pushing boundaries that had never been done before. Um, or at least, you know, not to that effect. And I know that's kind of weird to say, like looking back, like, you know, tw- was, how long ago was that? <laughs> 21 years? Um, looking back and be like, wait, Newfound Glory groundbreaking? It's like, yeah, actually they are. <laughs> and uh, just like the whole scene sort of changed behind them, you know? Um, I mean, they were part yeah, of something, yeah. you know, with like Saves the Day and Starting Line and the whole like drive through, but new, nobody sounds like Newfound Glory still. Um, so to be able to have like that band that like totally grabbed my attention when I was like 16, um, turn into like, Oh yeah, we toured with them, but like legitimate friends. Um, like it's hard to kind of remember like when we weren't friends, it's like, wait, hold on. When did we start? <laughs> um, and then, you know, having produced their, uh, their covers record last year, the movie uh, soundtrack yeah. songs, um, to do that was kind of like, you know, just, it's wild. I mean, I know it's like not a proper album, but it's like still like, wait, this is like, sure. I remember when hearing, you know, the glory of love cover and was like, what the hell is going on? Like my brain is going <laughs> to explode. Cause like I grew up listening to that soft rock stuff. Like with my mom, like she loved all that, you know, so Chicago, you know, yeah. pretty much insert any of those bands. <laughs> and that yeah, was yeah, like yeah. my early musical influences. Um, you know, to get from that and then hear them do the cover and it's just like, oh, what you guys, you're, you're killing me here. Like, this is too much. Like you do your own original thing, like really cool. And it's like super catchy, but like punk and fun and you can mosh somehow still. Um, and then you cover the glory of love. Like my brain is going to explode and like the never ending story. Like this is amazing. And then being able to do the, the third record of that is you know, it's kind of the full circle sort of thing where you're like, is this real? Like, yeah, pretty sure someone's screwing with me, you know? Um, and then, you know, playing shows with them now, they're like, Hey, you know, like Ryan, who was doing guitar for us, like he is down in Jacksonville and like, mm-hmm. he's not really, you know, he's doing his own musical thing now. So like, do you want to like fill in for this live stream? It's like, huh? You want me to play 25 newfound glory songs and 12 of them are like a self-titled record? Like, yeah, I'll do that. Sure. No problem. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, we actually just played a show with them on Friday in Chicago. They did a drive-in show. I mean, it's not going to be a permanent thing. I don't want people yeah, to like get their yeah. hopes up, or maybe some people are stoked that I want me to do it. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it, it's just a lot of fun. And in times like these, it's like a perfect little distraction from things. Like, all right, cool. And um, I mean, they're working on some other stuff too. You know, like we're uh, we're working on things. They're always moving to shakers. Like Chad chad never stops and you know due to covid obviously like it's just easier to do things in nashville and we've already had you know some working experience so uh we're working on some stuff um and yeah it's just it's just crazy like how all that has transpired i didn't realize you 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 were doing the um their, their show on friday as well uh that that drive-in thing was Mm-hmm. What, what 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 was it like doing the drive-in show what was the atmosphere like weird um it well, not in like a bad way. It's just different. Yeah. So Sophie, you have to leave me alone, babe. I love you so much, but you have to leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. What's her favorite cartel song? 
Oh, she hates when daddy sings. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> that's the that's the irony of it. It's like she has a, a professional musician as a father uh, and singer at that. And then anytime like I'll sing along with one of her songs in the car, she's like, no, sing. No. Like it's <laughs> immediately like, nope, I don't want it. I'm like, do you have any idea? Like this, this is what I do. Like I'm good at this. <laughs> like, I just, uh-uh. No, and I'll like play like, you know, mommy tried it one time she played um she played one of the songs and she's like who is this this is daddy and she's like turn it off (laughs) (laughs) i don't think it's that she doesn't like it it's just that she doesn't care you know Mm. (laughs) give it time give it time you got plenty time to work on that fair enough yes yeah she um it's funny like when i'm working on stuff at home um like we're other artists like production stuff. I'll bring it home from the studio to work on. I have a little rig here and uh, she'll hear me mixing stuff. And, you know, then I'll, you know, the next day, like I'll be in the car and she's like singing the song. I'm like, wait, what was that? What are you singing? She's like, your song. I'm like, well, that's not my song. It's just what I'm working on. She's just singing their song. I'm like, this is crazy. She hates my stuff, but oh, anything wow. else I'm working on, she's completely invested in. <laughs> it's so funny. So, I mean, in terms of the production work then at the moment, uh, I get. I guess that's still ticking over pretty well at the moment. Uh, more artists now, kind of recording more. Um, now they're they're not on the road as much, or what? Or I mean, what's the? What's yeah, the I. In my experience, I haven't necessarily felt that. Like, I mean, this year, you know, like Cartel, we were going to play some shows uh, in the summer and just kind of see what happened. Um, but then, obviously, like COVID had other plans. Um, so I had sort of cleared my production schedule anyway, or like not really like gone after things like I usually do. Um, so I didn't really have anything from March until like when, uh, late September. So yeah, about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's different in Nashville because, um, a lot of the country artists because of, you know, radio still being a thing that works for them, they can still put out singles and still like get stuff done. And they're doing the drive through or drive through drive in shows a lot more in general in the country scene. So those yeah. people, if you're working on country music, you're still, you're still in business. You're still rocking. Um, I do not work in country. So, um, I haven't really noticed that. And, you know, Nashville is not necessarily like a bastion of, you know, the underground scene. So, um, it hasn't really worked out for me, but I've noticed other studios in like cities or, you know, regions where, uh, you know, my scene is sort of, uh, represented a lot more. Those studios have remained like, not, I wouldn't say busier, but they haven't fallen off any. So that's always good. It's just different, you know, cause like this isn't, this scene isn't one where bands make money off of, you know, streams. Sure. Um, all time low is probably the only one that ever has <laughs> and like, you know, of course like the my Kim and fallout boy, but you know, those are always exceptions. Um, yeah, of course the, but like, you know, you want to go like that one tier down from, you know, super fame of those guys. Mm-hmm. You're not really doing anything on streaming. Um, that's, you know, sustainable for like a living. You have to go on tour. Um, yeah. and without touring, you know, the labels, aren't really getting that promotion for the streams. And then I honestly don't know how labels make money in the scene. Um, Yeah. So they're not shelling out, you know, for bands to be like, Oh, we got to like, you know, stay relevant. So we need to like write some new music and do some stuff. I mean, I think a lot of people are writing. So maybe, maybe in like, I don't know, a month or two, like early next year, we'll see like an explosion of people like, okay, I need to record. I've been writing all year. I've been stuck in the, you know, stuck at home. So maybe that'll happen. And um, you know, 
hopefully that'll happen. But if not, then I don't know. We'll see what happens with everything. All these guys have um. <laughs> my daughter just brought me in Hershey's bar as a surprise. Thank you. Um, it's very thoughtful. She's doling out the candy, man. She loves it. Um, where's that? Uh, people touring shows, yeah. playing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it feels it feels like a it's, yeah, it feels like a long way away at the moment. I guess there's these these drive-in shows, and we've had like these socially distanced oh, concerts right. up here. But I mm-hmm. guess I guess for like. The alternative scene, and we spoke to Alan Day last last week from Four Years Strong, and he was, he's just like, I can't imagine, like going out on tour and playing all these venues and not have our audiences on top of each other, going absolutely crazy, you know. And I guess that part of, I guess shows is feels like a, a hell of a long way away at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, for I mean, I think even if I, it'll be split, there'll always be people who are like, screw it you know, risks be damned, I'm going for it. Um, which is, you know, whatever to each their own, right? Um, but for a large percentage of people, like I don't think unless there's like one a cure or like, yeah, this vaccine is totally, you know, like totally got it down, like no worries. Um, like and nobody's scared of polio. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um yeah. I think if you have something like that, then you'll see it return back to normal. But I think there'll always be like some uh, portion of the population that will be reticent to, you know, get right in and, you know, cram up against a barrier and sing a bunch of songs and sweat next to a bunch of strangers. Like that feels like it might not ever happen again, or maybe not for a very long time. Um, which is strange, you know, it, it is weird. Um, I take much more of like a, it is what it is approach, um, to life more recently. Like, very into meditation and like you know metaphysical like that whole thing um it's the only thing that really uh helps to manage anxiety for me um so you know with that like when lockdown started like i kind of freaked out like a week or two before it all started when i because i'm try to stay as on top of like the news in the world as much as possible um just to know what's going on you know and when it was like oh yeah it's like kind of spreading out a little bit and i was like that shit's coming here and it's going to be gnarly um, so I kind of, yeah. I tripped out for like a week or two. I was like, no, we got to buy like some food. Like, I don't know if like, they're going to, you know, shut down grocery stores. Like who knows what's going on? Like, cause China was like full draconian, you know? Uh, yeah. I was like, it's going to get weird here too. So I need to go do stuff. So when it actually came to lockdown and obviously it wasn't that severe, but when it came to lockdown, I was like, yeah, this is comfortable. This is about right. Like it was easier for me to accept changes because I had already accepted change as like a constant, um, in general. So like, you know, regarding shows and things like that, like even playing that drive, uh, drive-in show is like, yeah, this is weird. It's different. Cause there's not like, you know, it's a newfound glory show. And usually you look down and people are like moving around dancing, like right up front, like singing along. You can see people on like a barrier, like just standing right on the front of their cars or like, you know, sitting on the front of their cars, but they weren't allowed to like intermingle. Um, there were still like 600 yeah. cars. Like it was it, pretty packed <laughs> as far as the parking lot. Cause, um, <laughs> but then like, you know, it's like, you know, a lot of sing-along parts in Newfound Glory songs. So you get to, you know, um, you know, My Friends Over You and like, you know, Jordan, everybody goes quiet. Jordan like puts the mic up in the air for everybody to sing and you kind of barely faintly hear it, you know, oh, I'm like, this is usually like so loud. Like what is like, you know, so it's not like, it's cool that, you know, people got to see a live show like, all right, nice. You know, um, 
and got to be around other people experiencing the same thing versus just it's like, cool, I logged in on my computer. Um, but it's, you know, you kind of, it, it's going to take a while, I think, for people to sort of get used to it to where they can enjoy it in maybe the same amount um, of enjoyment that they had when they could actually, you know, be like shoulder to shoulder, just in a different kind of way. You know, it's more of like an appreciation versus like a pure, like adrenaline, you know, and I think that's, Hopefully what mankind has learned in general from all this is just an appreciation for, um, you know, life in general and what we do get to enjoy versus what, you know, easily be taken away, which we've obviously experienced. Yeah. And I guess that's really important to, I guess, people's mental health as well, isn't it? And, um, you know, especially a lot of the arts, you know, it's, uh, I think it's, you know, become more, more focused, going to be more focused on that kind of in the, in the coming years and. I guess more more support and um, mm-hmm. yeah we'll see what happens eh yeah long overdue honestly yeah okay cool let's if it's all right we, we just want to I guess take it back to the start a little bit um, yeah for sure and, and run through the ages a little bit um, mm-hmm. and I mean you talked about newfound glory um, you know being a, a big kind of shift for you and influence for you kind of around sixteen mark I mean was that was that when cartels started to get together was that when you were like I want to you know, do something down this, this avenue? How, how did mm. that start to kind of come together as a band, I guess? Yeah, I mean, the band, the ba- I, th- I think most, pretty much every band, I, I think, um, who's who've been together for a very long time or since they were, you know, around like high school age, um, they would have a similar story where there is like, some of the band members were in bands together and other band members either were in other bands or like not in bands yet. And sort of like, um, you know, coalesced eventually. Um, This a a similar thing was happening for Cartel. We weren't called Cartel, but um, a similar thing was happening around the time that Newfound Glory like came in. Because like I I had a band that was not um, associated with anybody in Cartel. Like when I was a freshman in high school, so around like fourteen, fifteen. Right. And, you know, we did like a, a little album, small studio, whatever. And then it turned into, um, when I met these guys in high school, um, then it sort of, or sorry, when I met these guys, like my second year of high school, that's when, you know, they're like, oh, dude, you're in a band. Like we should be in a band together and like, listen to newfound glory and like, huh? And like, just like everything sort of changed overnight. Cause they showed me this band and I was like, oh wow. Like, yeah, I want to do stuff like that. Like that's fun. And then we sort yeah. of, you know, we sort of started, um, Kevin, uh, Cartel's drummer, he was in that original iteration as well as Joseph. So like me, Kevin, and Joseph, we always refer to ourselves as the nucleus because everyone else in Cartel had either was either well, obviously had been in Cartel at one point, but or had been in other bands um, before it bands with friends of ours. So um, yeah, right about then was the beginning of you know so Newfound Glory being introduced to me and then uh, starting like my first like punk band i guess <laughs> um yeah that all happened right about the same time cool so i i guess how, when did that start to really kind of pick up some momentum i mean what what was your kind of early early journey i guess before you started to get kind of picked up by was it the military group that signed you signed uh, you militia group, group, militia group yeah. sorry um kind of what was the what was the role before before that just local, yeah, we, local stuff yeah yeah pretty much um you know, like that high school band, um, Atlanta wasn't really like 
it, it, it wasn't really a, a place that had like a clear scene like inside of itself where there's a lot of bands that lived in Atlanta and made music and performed in Atlanta. It was mostly like the surrounding suburbs that traveled in and sort of met up inside of Atlanta. Um, it, Atlanta is kind of a, a new burgeoning metropolis in that way. Like when I grew up there, like not very many people actually lived in the city and that's like completely different now. We, with those high school bands and like, you know, before it was cartel, we had done like, you know, battle of the bands and then like gone and played, you know, house shows in like a, you know, a neighboring suburb or something. Um, so there was, there was a scene like around it, around Atlanta too, um, in the, around the perimeter. So we had sort right. of built up like at least, a you know, people knew who we were, um, or knew that we had been in this band or that band or whatever. So by the time like cartel came around, it was funny. I would just seem like, okay, so we're kind of doing exactly the same thing we've always done, but now it's just called cartel. And we sort of just like drop that other band. One guy moved away for college. And then now this guy joins. And then all of a sudden, like you guys are coming to our shows. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, you know, right music, right time, right. That's all that stuff you know, that comes into play. So yeah, we were playing like a bunch of local gigs. Um, for uh, pretty much all of like 2004 yeah to the late 2003 during th and then 2004 we had done the ransom ep right around then um yeah probably played like you know eight to ten like local shows over the span of time um some battle of the band stuff whatever and like kind of you know we bring out like a couple hundred people um which was good for atlanta um it wasn't really known for like having a scene like that. You know, there wasn't really any yeah, yeah, yeah. like pioneers, if you will, in that scene. What how was, the, was it the end of a four? Yeah, it was the end of a four. End of a four um, militia group came into the picture. Um, we signed with them and that was just an, another like happenstance thing where there used to be a, a music conference called Atlantis music conference in, um, that they had in Atlanta every year. And it was smaller. It wasn't like the big stuff like South by or anything like that. But, um, militia group, Rory, uh, the owner, he, um, he fly, he, or he flew out for that every year. He was like a panel speaker as like a, you know, pretty decently sized indie group. And, um, Copeland, uh, who was on militia group, they, uh, they lived in Atlanta at the time and they knew okay. our other guitar player. And so Copeland is on the militia group. Copeland's like, hey, like my buddy Andy, his band, like they're good. Like you should check them out. Like they're pop. They're not like, you know, serious emo, like most of the militia group bands were. Right. Um, but like, check it out. Like you might dig it. And then he was like, yeah, I want to see him play. And then so we played at the Atlantis Music Conference. And he was like, you guys are awesome. Like kids are into it. Like right on. Let's do this. Um, so we signed a little bit later that year. So it was kind of like, you know, if we fans there, even <laughs> like standing up there on stage, like with undeniable songs, um, I don't think it would matter because I think a lot of the, a lot of what happens in this scene is like noticing crowd participation. Like you could have banger after banger after banger. And if people are just standing there looking at you, no one's going to think like, oh yeah, this is it, you know? That's it, isn't it? So yeah, we had to kind of, you know, pay our dues early on to develop that like, that visceral reaction from a fan base that was like, man, I'm going to go off when that song, when they drop that riff, I'm going to punch my friend. Like, you know, <laughs> people, if you don't have that in your head, that anticipation to where you're going to go nuts, like, you know, have, have you really accomplished something in, in this scene? And, you know, that's like another metric to, to judge by. So 
it, it happened to work out just because we had paid our paid our dues and put our time in okay and then, and then we kind of go into 2005 where in thus chroma <laughs> exactly exactly where yeah. like i feel like all of the the, the the press places at the time would have been talking about cartel a lot and the build up to that album like places like absolute punk and all press mm-hmm. what 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 was that year like up until then was that when you were like like going on tour for the first time and stuff yeah we um we hadn't toured properly we had played you know we had played shows around sure. um yeah. like raleigh north carolina which is about five and a half six hours away um played like a show in florida uh and we hadn't really ventured too far outside of the state of Georgia at the time. Um, Columbia, South Carolina is about like three hours away. You know, something that's like easily like we can drive up and drive back because we can't afford a hotel, like that sort of stuff. Sure. That sort of thing we would pull off um, intermittently, like around like 2003, 2004. But then we kind of decided like, all right, like right around the time that we were starting to get some interest from the militia group, we're like, the only way we're going to do this is if we prove we can tour because no label is going to sign an indie band, you know, that can't tour. So we're going to save all of our money. We're going to, you know, sell everything we got that we don't need for the band. And we're going to buy, you know, a van and trailer. And so we bought, you know, some rickety piece of shit <laughs> with a trailer that would get us, you know, at least part of the way to where we needed to go. Um, started that like summer of 04. Um, we, we played three shows and then our van uh, encountered um, a fatality, uh, which ended up just being a fuel pump, which was hilarious because we spent thousands of dollars to fix a $300 part, um, <laughs> of course. Um, and then we really started tour after we got signed with militia group, they bought us a different van that actually would get us across the country. And, um, we started that in like late, uh, late Oh five. And so we did two or three different tours, like just, you know, play into like, you know, if 50 kids showed up, we'd be stoked. We're like 50 kids in Phoenix, Arizona are right. showing up to see cartel play. This is crazy. Um, cause yeah, it did coincide with like, you know, oh, Militia Group signs this new band from Atlanta. What's going on here? Oh, we're going to listen to the Ransom EP. Oh, this is actually pretty good. Cool. Like, let's start following them. So, like, you know, you get Absolute Punk talking about it more than Alternative Press at the time. They were, yeah, we were okay, still okay. kind of small fish for them. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of, you know, Absolute Punk um, kind of doing the thing and us, you know, interacting on the message boards before like internet commenting became like a cesspool of hate. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Maybe you can't have this. This is straight up sugar. You already had, you just had a piece of candy. Just one. You can't have a ring pop because daddy's not watching you. I got a ring. <laughs> huh? I got a ring. It, it is a ring, but it has ca- a candy, like a lollipop on the end of it. And I don't want you to choke because I'm not watching you, okay? You can have it after I'm done. Sound good? No, that doesn't sound good. Okay, we'll go put it away. <laughs> Mommy will be home soon. <laughs> no deal bad negotiator um that's where was i uh oh no obviously i mean i was just kind of leading you into the, the you know those first sort of touring days and then um, chroma yeah that's right was was chroma kind of like a, a life-changing moment was it as big as that would you say i mean because it kind of I, I mean i guess yeah. in, in our in our scene it was kind of a huge thing at the time i remember it's it's you know as as i get you know the the front man and kind of the guy who wrote most of chroma like it was like it was it's weird so like i had always written songs i was the only child so like you know when i found music and like got my first guitar that was my that's what i did you know instead of like going out and playing with friends like i played with my guitar and 
and wrote songs, um, you know, as early as like 14, 15 years old. So I had always done that when cartel, like when the, the band in high school started, like in, like I already had one, but then like when the, you know, what would become cartel that started, the, there were two other guys in the band, the other two guitar players that, um, already had songs. And so they sort of wanted me just to sing their songs. They're like, Oh yeah, you can sing, like come and like be our singer. And I was like, Oh, okay. I figured that out later. Really? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So my songs are like, well, you know, like we've been listening to no effects since we were like 12. So, you know, we know what punk is. You don't yet. Like if we needed a grunge song, like, yeah, but that's not what this is. I'm like, okay, cool. So like, you know, yeah. They kind of took over the songwriting duties and did all that, but I was still writing songs. Like, okay, cool, and um, writing lyrics and melody and stuff for them for sure. But then um, when Cartel started proper, um, Andy, the original guitar player, he had pretty much all the songs of the Ransom EP, other than "City Never Sleeps," "Fiend," and uh, "Last Chance." Um, those three songs I had written, like, and had them beforehand, and like brought them in and introduced them to the band, and. Um, you know, so we went through the whole Ransom UP thing where, I mean, you know, the songs that I brought in weren't like the iconic ones. Like City Never Sleeps, people were into and like Fiend, people still talk about, but it's an acoustic song on a rock album. Like the, those always get talked about, you know? Um, yeah. Like like Incubus with Drive, like decent song, but like I can think of 15 better Incubus songs, but everybody talks about Drive because it's, you know, the one that their moms can listen to. It's just like that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> like that's kind of what I put in the perspective of people liking Fiend. I'm like, yeah, it's all right, but it's just because it's different. That's why you're like focusing okay. on it, but whatever. <laughs> Not to psychoanalyze like every music fan ever, but, um, you know, so that, that, that uh, EP went through and, you know, we, um, we toured on it, did the thing. And then, you know, Andy ended up getting kicked out. Um, uh, he, we just all wanted different things. Like he didn't want the band to be like super successful. He's like, no, man, I want to stay like true to the roots. Like, I don't ever want to be as, you know, bigger than the get up kids. We're like, I mean, the get up kids are big dude, but like, come on, man, let's like go for it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Why would you want to put a ceiling on something? I think, it, you know, so we didn't like really trust that, like, how can we really move on in the band if we don't want the same thing, you know? Um, but when we, you know, we were still friends, obviously. So when, uh, Andy left, like, I remember we had a, a meeting or not a meeting, we just hung out, like went to this, uh, late night coffee shop. We we're just sitting there chilling. He's like, Hey man, like, you know, you're going to have to write all the songs now. Cause like the other guys aren't really like writing anything. And I was like, shit, you're right. Okay. <laughs> and I, I had had like a couple songs, but then it was just like, all right, man, like open up the floodgates again, you know, like you didn't need to write. So you really kind of didn't. And then now go for it. You can. And then Chroma. So basically, um, I mean, the other guy, I mean, not to say like, I didn't like write the whole thing and like, here you go, guys, here's your sheet music. Play it. It's not like that. Obviously it, it goes yeah, through the band yeah. filter, but like the, you know, the basic chords and, and vocals and melodies and lyrics and all this stuff. It was just sort of like finally being able to let that creative, uh, you know, lid come off because I, I wasn't like stifled or anything like that, but it was just kind of like, oh, hey, cool. I got an opportunity to do something. Um, and so it was just like, yeah, every idea that I have is going into this one record because you never know if you're even going to have a second one, right? So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, you know, most, most of that tour up until then was just like um, writing, uh, you know, we were on tour with like the Militia Group tour, which is like Rocket Summer, Branston, Umbrellas, um, who else? Is that it? Just the four of us. Yeah, it's just the four of us. Um, okay. So we did that and then like immediately went in the studio to record Chroma. Um, well, pre-production, I should say. But yeah, it was uh, 
all that time was just like really, really interesting. Cause like, you know, none of us had any money. We didn't have per diems. We weren't really eating, you know, we were staying at people's houses at night and all that sort of touring thing. It's sort of like, that's when you like band together, like as like, it almost feels like you're in the military because it's kind of like an us versus them. Like we just need to eat and get to the next city. Like, how are we going to make this happen? And then we're going to play a show and then like, you know, sing for our supper basically. <laughs> um, and you know, that, I think a lot of that energy and that like camaraderie really like, you know, ended up uh, translating itself into, you know, the energy that we ended up putting on Chroma. Cause you know, we had toured some, we knew what it was like to play shows and what, you know, different songs that were like, Oh yeah, this slaps. And then you play it in front of people and you're like, nobody cares. All right. Why don't they care? And so you, and you learn what people react to and what they don't react to. And then that sort of just all, you know, um, synthesizes through your, uh, your writing filter and then you sort of write based, you know, into what is working on like a, you know, a seminal level with the the fans and then, you know, what little fans we had at the point. <laughs> um, and then it's, you know, then we just do the thing and it happened and like realizing how much success that record had based upon, you know, the amount of like resources that we had. Um, yeah at the time is like inversely proportional to how every other record went for us. <laughs> so it's, um, it's, it's just, it's really funny, man. Like, so Chroma is always like this little, like, I don't know, like obviously it's an important record for some people. Um, and obviously an important record for me too, but, uh, it, it's funny. It's almost like how you're, you you sort of feel like, like other records would be like the older sibling and that one's the younger one, even though obviously like, you know, that was the younger one that like gets all the, the praise for mom and dad. And you're like, Hey, <laughs> yeah. wait, look, I'm like, I'm like doing things properly. Like, you know, like I recorded in a really nice studio and we took our time. Like we focused on each individual part. We made like, you know, we made, made sure the tones were better. I made sure like I, I was more focused in my vocal performance and like all these things like, these are like by definition, like way better records, but you know, the little kid is the star, <laughs> like that, um, which there's a lot to be said for, but it's, uh, it's just really funny. Cause like, you know, as a, I never want to think that I've already written my best album or my best songs. Like yeah, I, I might as well quit, yeah. you know, might as well quit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm always trying to do better. So I can't look back and be like, yep, not going to beat that. Never going to beat that. Cause like, you know, you're never writing the same song twice. Um, how, how, how does Chroma sound to you now? If you listen to it now, messy, really, <laughs> um, what's it been? I suppose it's been 15 years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still, I mean, you know, messy by, you know, relation. Um, I should say, I mean, obviously rock in general has gotten a lot more like polished and produced, yeah. Um, in a sense of like, no, nah, man, we got to make this like, we got to make the performance work because you never know this could cross over to pop where, and I think that's really the thing when, when our scene via fallout boy, my chemical romance, I mean, even newfound glory probably had a little bit to deal with that. Sure. Um, I mean, you could listen to the difference between self-titled and like catalyst, you know, and say yeah, like, yeah. Oh yeah. Like there's a huge production difference. Um, because you know, self-titled, you're still a band in a room sort of sound on the record, and after that, it's like you know that era entirely. It's not just them, but the era as soon as it crossed over in MTV and like, oh well, this could get played on the radio. Yeah. Then you have to like, you know, stack everything up to those standards, and then everything gets a lot tighter. Um, 
from like, you know, people are going to hyper edit, you know, your guitars and your drums and your bass and put everything together. And then your vocals are going to be tuned and all this other stuff. So your ear just gets used to hearing it like that. Right. So then you go back and listen to like an older album like that and you go, damn, I guess working in production as well, probably kind of must feed into that a little bit as well in terms of picking it apart from, from that side of things now. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly different. Um, yeah. You know, cause I didn't really know much about like production um, when, when we started Chroma, uh, you know, I didn't have a lot, a lot of time to sort of see what was going on when we were doing the ransom EP. And I had like, you know, rudimentary software, uh, you know, in high school, like to make demos and it sounded terrible. I remember actually, Chris, we recorded on like a four track tape recorder back in the day. There was no Pro Tools. <laughs> there was no Pro Tools. Yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. <laughs> this old cassette job, a four track thing, Tascam. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, dude. That's the, the good old, old days, school. man. Yeah, old school. So, obviously, Chroma, assumably, kind of really opened things up for you from a, like, a touring perspective. I assume that's where, when you started to jump on Warp Tour and some, some pretty big tours all around. I guess, were you, were you up over Europe much at all? Uh, weirdly enough, we never really toured Europe. Um <laughs> You you gotta hit the stop button, babe. Yeah. So when we so Chroma released in like three thousand records first week, and we were like, oh my god, we're famous. You know, like we actually were on like the Heat Seekers chart on Billboard, like as like a hundred ninety eight out of two hundred. Like whoa. Um, but we were still touring and playing to like fifty people, and it's like, huh? Like what? Right. So, you know, then we do the acceptance tour with receiving into sirens and. Um, you know, Augustana and Paramore and Panic at the Disco yeah. when all of those bands were just starting. And it's like, you know, okay, cool. And then we do the start, uh, the starting line tour. And like, you know, by the time we get to the starting line tour, we've sold like 10,000 records. By the time the starting line tour is over, we've sold like 40,000. And we're like, huh. All right. And then yeah, it's Warp yeah. Tour. And then we've sold like 80,000 records. And we're like, what the fuck is going on? And then we do the newfound glory tour that fall and we're playing college shows and it's like okay now we're at like 120,000 records what okay this is nuts and then we do our first headlining tour um the following like february i think is when it started and that was with boys like girls and cobra starship um and you know we sold out 36 out of 39 shows and our records at like you know, 200,000 and we're selling like 15,000 records a week and our songs number 19 on um, top 40 charts on the radio. And it's like, okay, um, I, I fully don't understand what's going on because literally a year ago, no one was here and we sold 3,000 records like worldwide. And <laughs> now like we've been to Japan, uh, Australia, the UK, and we're headlining and selling all these places out like how did that happen so fast um yeah it's it's a strange thing to explain um if you haven't actually been through it yourself um so yeah that's about as well as i could do i think yeah, sure. <laughs> how, how many uk tours did you do in the end uh let's see um plain white teams yeah we, we we both saw you on that one yeah that was our first like proper uk tour. right everything yeah, else was yeah. like slam dunk um and sure, then like sure. the intermittent dates that you do between that um yeah so i think like yeah and we did we did like an actual yeah yeah we did um yeah so 
I think we've been to the UK four times. It's either four or five, but I think like it's four proper tours, and maybe that fifth one was just like slam dunk random. Got you. Yeah, and we did like yeah because we did the chroma stuff around there too. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, five I think. So I guess it wasn't too long uh, from that point that that major started to come along, and was it was it epic that that started to show some interest? Yeah, so that's actually like that's that's actually a very interesting story, and it kind of get gets into the weeds of like the the legal processes behind um, okay. labels, and you kind of wonder like why don't bands get bigger than they are, and then. Like you hear stories like this, not that like that had anything to do with us, but like, uh, then you start to understand like, Oh, there's a lot of like BS that goes on in the background right on. So militia group was distributed through Sony. Um, and like what distribution, like just, I I don't want to like explain things like to, if they don't need explaining, but I feel like most people probably don't know this stuff, but, um, distribution, uh, in a sense is the people who actually own the record labels because that's where like, you know, the rubber meets the road. They're actually manufacturing the records and putting them in stores and, you know, yada, yada, so on and so forth. There's the ones for the digital distribution they're responsible for. Um, like actually, you know, signing it off. They're essentially the people that own the music and the labels like are, you know, like the managerial arms of that sort of thing. Um, for the artist, like, uh, they're the, uh, content providers, <laughs> if you will. Um, and militia group was distributed through Sony and we had garnered right. a lot of interest from lava records, which, um, had simple plan and, um, but yeah, pretty much simple plan was the one that like was off of, um, our, our scene. Of course. Um, they also had Kid Rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little, little, little further, further removed. A little bit different, a little bit different. Yeah, yeah just yeah. a little bit. Um, so, yeah, they had they had a simple plan, and you know they were kind of looking for another band, and you know uh, one of the junior A and Rs who like we're still good friends to this day. He loved our band, absolutely loved our band, and um, I think he had heard about him from his brother who lived in Athens. Um, who's still a bud to this day. Um, and he lived in New York and worked for Lava. And he was like, yo, Andy Carp, who was like the head guy, he's like, you have to look at this band, like, let's sign him. And, you know, they looked at us and they came down to Atlanta and saw us play, like right before we even recorded Chroma. Um, and, you know, long story short, a lot of things go through and they're like, yo, we want to sign this band. Like what's got to happen? And Rory from the militia groups, like, hey, uh, you know, cool all about it but like we're distributed through sony you guys are are warner um warner atlantic and uh that's like oil and water you know those that they essentially the label has to get bought out in order for us to be able to sign with lava because with sony because militia groups a a independent label yeah if we're going to go to a major they, Sony has right of first refusal. So like one of Sony's majors would have the chance to counter, you know, and say like, no, we want them. We're going to claim them and we're going to upstream them, um, which I think most people are familiar with the term upstream. So that's essentially what like that's, yeah. that's sort of centered around. Well, you know, Lava wanted this bad. So they're like, we're going to do everything we got to do. We're going to buy you off. We're going to buy Militia Group out of your distribution deal and put you on Warner. And Militia's like, yeah, cool, awesome. So Jason Flom, who's the president of Lava, um, yeah, 
he's the one that's making the call, right? He's headed to to LA for something for some reason, but also going to LA to meet with Rory and like do the deal, shake the hands and do this thing. Um, he's on the jet. <laughs> okay. He's on the private jet from New York to LA. Lior Cohen, who is the owner of Warner, mm-hmm. um, calls him up, grounds the plane in Denver, fires him on oh, the tarmac, fuck. on the tarmac, and then sends his ass home on coach or something like that. I don't know if that part's true, but it's it works for the story, so we'll go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. and it, it was completely unrelated to signing our band. They just had beef from like forever. Um, but that obviously negated our deal. We would have to wait on the next president, whoever it was to like, to do it. But in the meantime, because he had already initiated the paperwork and like, you know, basically signed a letter of intent, if you will, that triggered the upstream clause in our deal with militia group. So Sony now has to make an offer. Um, or militia group gets to go like, cool, we're still going to do this thing because we get to go sell, you know, we get to go to a higher bidder because they have a, we have a band that they want. Um, and therefore we had to make a choice between Columbia and Epic and did this whole, like, you know, like did a showcase and went to New York and like got wined and dined. And they're all like, you got to sign with us. Now you got to sign with us. We're going to do this thing. Now we're going to do this thing and then make a decision. So, um, yeah, we kind of got like forced into going to, and I say forced in like uh, signing to a major is awesome. So like we weren't like bummed at all, but it was just kind of like, wait, we were signing to lava. And now we're going to sign to Epic because we have to, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, all right. I mean, I guess this is where we wanted to end up anyway in the natural course of things, but still like weird way it goes down. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so, you know, Epic and Columbia, we weren't on their radar. It's not like they were like, oh yeah, like cartel, they're like in our minor leagues. Like we're going to bring them up someday when they get their shit together. Like, no, no, no. It was like, wait, who's this band? Huh? They're on militia group. What? All right. We got to learn their songs and like get familiar and like be able to talk to them about it. Cause they got to choose between one of us and we actually have to make the pitch like look good, you know? Um, so we did, we, we, we never actually got signed by our A&R, you know, they weren't out there searching for us. Like I, you know, our A&R at, at uh, Epic, he was a good dude and we had fun and like, he genuinely cared about our band. I don't doubt that for a second, but like, you know, he managed the Fugees and uh, nine days, you know, before oh. he was a, uh, an A&R at, at Epic. So I'm like, wow. what do you know about punk or pop <laughs> rock? Or, you know, like you don't know yeah. anything about our scene. Like I love talking about Star Wars with you and like, you know, Wyclef, so that's cool as shit. But like, you know, like, <laughs> what? Oh, and Vanessa I mean- Carlton too. Yeah. Oh right, nice. I mean, um, I have to say, I love yeah. a bit of Nine Days, but that's that's a whole other. Dude, yeah, dude, story of a girl, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think all all their albums they've got, they've got some jams, man. But um, is is that how you <laughs> is that how you ended up working with Wycliffe at some point? Was it through that connection? Sorry, I know I'm jumping around. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. That, that that's a that's a um, a good line um, into the next album. But yeah, that uh, that's how. Or we with the bubble and all that stuff, like. They're like, yeah, oh, it'd be really yeah. cool to like get a nice feature on the record. And we like asked Butch Walker because he's from 
you know, he's from Atlanta too. So we're, and we knew Butch. So we're like, dude, Butch, you want to be on this thing? And he's like, man, I was like, I'm doing this other thing right now. I don't have time, blah, 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 you know, which is totally cool. Like total much respect. Um, but we were still kind of left in the lurch and we we're like, I don't know, like, you know, what if we get like some sort of like hip hop, uh, collab we're from Atlanta. So like, there's a yeah. bunch of rappers that maybe we could work right, with. Right. And so they're like, who would you want to work with? And we're like, duh, outcast, like, come on. And they were like, they're not going to touch this with a 10 foot pole. So <laughs> it was like, Oh shit. Okay. And then, um, Peter, the A&R brought up, he's like, well, I used to work with Wyclef and like Wyclef loves collaborating with artists outside of hip hop. So like maybe he'd be into it. Um, and we're like, well, yeah, but what song? And he's like, well, Wasted is like, you know, a very different song for you guys. So maybe he would be into that. Um, it's like, all right, yeah. And then send him to the track and, you know, it all worked out. So um, it was funny because like Peter like approached it and he's like, by the way, like how it kind of works is like if he features on your song, he's going to ask you to feature on his. Would you be cool with that? I was like, you mean he would want Will Pugh to sing on a Wyclef song? <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm cool with that, Peter. Like, yeah, I'll be gone to November all day. Like, come on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that obviously didn't happen. Um, although it been, would have been sweet even if the song never came out. But, yeah, that, that, that's essentially how that all came to be. So what, what was the score with this whole MTV band the bubble thing then? I mean, how did that actually start and what, I mean, who initiated that? Yeah, I mean, we got approached by the label um, back when we were on tour um, for uh, that self-titled tour with Cover Starship and Boys Like Girls. That's when they they okay. hit us up. Um, they were like, hey, like, by the way, because, you know, honestly, it was, you know, top 20 at radio. And so we're prepared. They're going to radio with Say Anything Else is the next single. Like, we shot the video, like we're about ready to go and like throttle down. They're like, we're taking this thing to the top, you know, that sort of idea. Um, and so, you know, it comes to like, you know, radio ad day is like a week away, which is like a big day. Cause if you don't get tons of ads, like nobody puts your record on. Um, so we're like really preparing for it. And then we get a call like, Hey, so um, yeah, we're this bubble thing. We really want you to do it. And if you are going to do the bubble thing, we're not going to work, say anything else or any other single from this record. And it was like, well, why? And they're like, well, because it starts in May, it's February, like it's too early. Like that radio campaign campaign would last through the summer. But what are we supposed to do? Just all of a sudden, like not promote the song. I was like, no, it's still cool to promote a song on the radio while we're on MTV. <laughs> you know, like that to me still makes sense. Um, but they're like, yeah, like radio department, like, you know, we ran it through our analytics or whatever. And we just don't think it like, it's not going to compete. And like, we don't want to like the, like, I don't know if this, I I'm sure it had something to do with like MTV and band in a bubble, not wanting to be promoting the record that we had already put out when we're recording the one that, that we are about to. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, okay. I get it. Cool. Um, but you know, that was the thing. It was like, all right, well, like what happens if we say the hell with that like we got success running like let's not screw the momentum up let's just keep going they're like well you kind of can't do that not that like we were forced or anything but it was like if you know he, peter was very real he's like listen he's like i'm all about it like if you guys want to do that and that's the direction like that you want to take your band and say like no we're like let's stay with the momentum that we have and not like try to do something bigger like throw some you know fire or some kerosene on the fire then 
I'm, I'm I got your back. But as a label, they're probably going to go like, okay, cool, and then like forget you. Well, I mean, wh- where were you guys with it then as a band in terms of the idea? I mean, obviously you you went you went with it obviously because you know yeah. part of you had to. But I mean, where you know what was the what was the vibe amongst the so like you know hindsight being 2020 we probably still would have done it just in, i mean not necessarily with like the results but like going back and looking at what it was um like the actual experience and how they like produced it and did all this other thing not the record but the actual show um we would probably still do it but at least we would have known what was what they were going for and we would have like been able to adapt better but I, the thing was is like that was never um presented to us that that was how they were going to treat it like to us it felt more like um like a documentary but like a a light-hearted documentary because we've never been a band that like takes ourselves too seriously like we always have fun no matter what we're doing Uh, um and try to see the light you know all that sort of stuff um and so we told them several times they're like you know you're gonna be yeah it's funny because like we're sitting on our tour bus after like basically being on a tour bus for nine months there you know we had a producer like who just flew in that day sitting in our bus like hey man like this is going to be tough on you guys like you're going to have to be together for 20 days straight we're like you see what the hell we're doing right now right like (laughs) we're on a bus where like i'm sleeping on top of this other dude like in basically a coffin with a curtain like you're telling me that like we get to have essentially a tour bus that doesn't move that's like 10 times as big and people just bring us food and all we got to do is just like work on like you know go to sleep play video games wake up work on record like that's not hard man like i don't know if you think you're going to get like the real world here but we're going to give you jackass that's what you're going to (laughs) get you know like we're we we've already been through all those fights as a band we've been on tour for like three years straight dude like this isn't going to affect us in any way, shape or form psychologically. Like, Oh, you got cameras on us. Big deal. You know, like been there, you know, <laughs> it's like, um, so then, you know, the way they, they ended up happening is just kind of like, eh, fuck. Like you kind of missed the mark. Like it was so much more fun to be in that thing than they made it seem like, um, from like an editing perspective or anything. But, you know, at the time when we were making the decision, you know, it all boils down to this. You miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. So we were kind of like full on board with like, this could launch us into like, Oh wait, cartel, we thought you were one thing, but in actuality, you're like a return to like the rock of, you know, when rock bands were rock bands, you know? Um, but like a new thing, uh, that's what we were trying to pull off. And okay, we felt like we could, with the record period, regardless of the bubble. And then when they brought us that opportunity, we're like, well, this is kind of awesome. Cause like we're getting an MTV show and people are going to be like, hold on, let's go check this out. Even if they don't like the music at all, we're going to get a lot more people who would just listen to it and just see what's going on than we would if we just released the record. Otherwise, um, I, yeah, we wouldn't change a thing. Cause it was just, it was the best thing that we could do at the time that we knew that would be able to like, you know, blow things up. We also, I mean, obviously realized that there could be some backlash, but we're like, nah, like there's a much bigger audience. Like, and people just don't know us or realize what's going on. Um, but then we found out like people thought we got paid millions of dollars for that. 
<laughs> and it was hilarious. Hey, dude, not going to lie. We asked. <laughs> they were like, really? we're like, well, obviously they're going to pay us for this. So how much are we going to get paid? Like, you know, and they're like, I don't know. Like, you know, our managers that talking to us, like, how much do you want? We're like, uh, dude, like a couple million, like this is MTV. This is a reality show. Like in our, in our career is on the line. Like, sure. like hook, hook us up. And then we sent that to them and they were like, <laughs> you're out of your mind. And it was like, oh, okay, well, what are we talking about? And it was, you know, it was fine. Um, nobody <laughs> retired off of, off of it, obviously, but like, yeah, it wasn't yeah. like this landfall thing that like, oh yeah, we we're, you know, I don't care what you think. Cause I'm rich. Like, no, 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 no. Okay. If, if it was, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't care. I'm off on a boat somewhere. You know? <laughs> I mean, how how was the record received though? I mean, it, I mean, obviously, "Lose It" was the big single that we all heard and loved. Um, but I mean, what was the yeah, what was the response to, to the album? I think it was good. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, initially because you know, it's it's our culture makes it a lot cooler to hate things than to uh, support things. We we sort of had more of like, oh, these guys are sellouts now, sort of thing, but. Um, I think ultimately it was like uh, pretty good. Like I didn't see like any change in response um, at shows and everything. I think people were like genuinely into it, and it was something different. And like there was, I think there was a lot of different songs for a lot of different you know musical tastes. I, I suppose as well because you were kind of pulled off onto that quite quickly. You still had tours, but the reception at shows because we, we pretty much like finished that. Uh, we finished that album. It came out. And we went on tour like pretty much immediately. Um, I just think you know it, the fans obviously like changed a little bit. Like I think that's when it moved to more of like the mainstream crowd um, yeah. that weren't so much like you know if you look at like the 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 show energy back in like Ransom EP days and Chroma days versus post Chroma days. Yeah. Definitely a lot more like timid where, you know, they're used to just kind of like standing there and watching a show versus like participating mm -hmm. as much as, you know. So what was, so obviously um, you didn't release anything else with Epic at that point. Um, what was, mm -hmm. I mean, what, I mean, how did that kind of come to an end in terms of that relationship? Yeah. So Chroma sold like, I think at that point in time, it had sold like about 280,000 copies, which, you know, they owned 250,000 of those copies. So, you know, they're not displeased. Um, this record comes out and, you know, it wasn't like a record that we got to develop, you know, where, you know, typical record stuff. It's like, you're writing demos, you're sending it in, um, in there, you know, being like, oh yeah, like write some more songs and you kind of get to a point where like the entire label is stoked on the songs that you guys are about to record, you know, even though you're, they're your songs the label feels a little bit of ownership, right? So whenever you feel ownership about anything, you're going to work a little harder. You're going to have better ideas because you care in a different way. Like you feel like the record success is also your success and not just because like, yeah, okay, I'll get to keep my job, you know? Um, when the process for this record didn't, it wasn't able to happen that naturally. Um, from our standpoint, it was. We were still able to write. I mean, you know, like Chroma came out in this uh, September 05. I, I had songs that never even got finished for Chroma that started to be what 
songs would be on self-titled. I wrote all through that time. Like, so, you know, I had 24 songs or something like that. By the time we got to like, yeah, we can make a record. <laughs> um, and, you know, I played some of it with a label and they're like, oh yeah, okay, cool. And like, you know, we showed them like some stuff and I'm like, all right, yeah, we're good, whatever. It's like, all right, right on. You know, like we got thumbs up. So it was like, cool. But like, you know, we didn't have that chance to like make the record in the studio, send it to the label and then be like, eh, eh. And, you know, go in and track all of those songs together and then pick the best and maybe even like go write some more if we needed it, like to take that developmental process of what they wanted versus what we were able to give them at the time. That's like, you know, we just never really synced up and it happens all the time. It's not like, you know, we were some weird anomaly, but um, we just happen to be one of the bands that fall under that category. So when it didn't sell, you know, gangbusters, and we sold like 28,000 first week, we were like number eight or something. Like when it opened, um, for us, we're like, ha, this is insane. We released a top yeah. 10 record. You're like, this is crazy. Yeah. I, something like that. I don't know. But for us, even just selling 28,000 records in a week was like a big deal. And they were like, oh, we're disappointed. I'm like, well, I know we're not like Beyonce, but like they hadn't even started to like wrap their heads around the fact of what's, um, you know, downloading and, um, and what streaming was doing to the industry, you know, it's like our career happened during the point in time where people weren't even um, aware of what was going on in the industry. Now they can look back and like, oh yeah, from 06 to like 2011, like sales went down steadily, you know, for everyone um, yeah, yeah, until like they figured out how to make the deals with Spotify and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, bingo. Like technology, you know, shot us in the face basically for three years. Um, and we happened to have our peak during that point in time and major labels didn't understand it. And we didn't have like the tour um, turnouts like a fallout boy or something like that. With it, you know, had radio success and arenas to go on where labels were like, oh, we don't care that we're selling 30% less records because we've got our hands in all this. Look at this, you know? Yeah. Um, that pretty much ended things with Epic, not in like a, you know, we're kicking you off the label. It was just kind of, we actually asked to get off the label. We're like, listen, this kind of sucks. And then like wind up had already approached us like, Hey, like, are you guys happy? Like, it kind of seems like this isn't the way your band should be worked on. And, and funny enough, like wind up had actually tried to sign us back when we were still on militia group. But I, I honestly, like the, the guy showed up at a show in um, Bloomfield, New Jersey, which is like a very, very, very small suburb of uh, New York. Uh, and, and I say that proportionally. Um, but, you know, we played like some cafe, like my house is bigger than this venue was. And my, I don't have a very big house. <laughs> so, um, you know, we play this place and this guy, like, you know, this older guy who's obviously not like a typical fan of ours, like comes up to me after the show, like, hey, man, like. I work for wind up records and we're, I was like, you mean like Creed? And he's like, yeah, but like we sign a bunch of things besides Creed. I'm like, okay, sure, bud. You know, but I'm like, I don't, nah, like I, I kind of don't believe you. And turns out he was like the guy <laughs> at wind up. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, not that like I shot anything in the face. We're like, wind up, come on, no way. Like that's just too, you know, that's not going to happen. And then yeah. same guy, like, you know, we, he'd come to some shows and I was like, Oh dude, Mike, what's up, man? Like, didn't realize that who you were at the time, but like, cool, man, I'm glad you're still coming out. And he was like a true genuine fan. Um, and he was like, yeah, yeah, I, I see the epics not really like 
stoked on your band anymore like we're still stoked like i love that record like well can we do something and it was like well maybe they'll let us go and our attorney's like pretty sure they'll let you go <laughs> um yeah it, it, so that all worked out like uh, basically about a year after the bubble that was like pretty much to the day when we ended up like signing with with epic it was yeah i was yeah. gonna say it was only a year later you actually released that um cycles record as well you're straight 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 in there did you have that written already ready to go or well, it was like two years. Cycles released in 09, self-titled yeah, end of 07. Yeah. Um, but we were certainly right. So funny enough how I just mentioned all the, the, the development part of making a record um, that we didn't get to do with Epic was like on overdrive for Cycles. Yeah. So the executive A&R at, um, uh, at Cycle, or sorry, at Windup, um, is a guy named Greg Wattenberg, who's like pretty prolific and very successful songwriter. Um, so they kind of brought him on as like creative A and R, right? Um, for the whole for, for the whole uh, label, and so I'm sending songs directly to a guy who like he wrote that uh, OAR song "Turn the Car Around." Um, that song was currently on the radio, like killing it um, here at least. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty sure it was the number one. I don't know. I heard it more more times than I wanted to, and usually that means it was number one. <laughs> Uh, good song, but just like, come on, like again. Um, but he wrote that song with the OAR guys. And at the time that that was number one is when I'm sending in demos for cycles to the same guy who I'm just kind of like, fuck, <laughs> you know, like this, these aren't number ones, obviously, but like you're, you're having to judge them in this like current period of time where, you know, your ego is getting stroked super hard because you have like the number one song in the, in the country and very well deserved. But like, it's not, it's in a weird headspace, you know, and this is obviously me like projecting on them, but like, I'm sitting here going, damn, like I'm not sending these guys like the same sort of songs. Like cartel will probably never be a band that has a song that is, you know, ubiquitous across the board for people because we're always going to rock and that's gonna put some people off regardless of the song. Um, But nevertheless, I'm sending it into, you know, the filter of that guy. And mm-hmm. he made us better. Like, honestly, like I'm more proud of cycles than any record we've ever done. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of little, I mean, there's just subtle things that I was like, Oh man, that's huge, a huge improvement. Um, we actually spent a long time recording that record. Uh, we lived in New York while we did it. Um, so we were there for like four months and then, you know, we got to produce a lot of it as well. Like not actually hands-on engineering because we had a badass engineer for that record. Um, his name is Ross Peterson. He's the man. Um, so, you know, got to make got to make that record for a long time. We put in like a year's worth of writing. It's just kind of like the way that we've always known that records were made like back in the day when it wasn't so like now, 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 now. Um, so it was you know, a labor of love to get that record together. And then like hearing the way the tones came out and the way the mix came out and then like how the songs went down and like all the little production elements. And just like, for me, it's like, it, it's the closest to flawless record that we've ever done because like we got to spend so much time making it happen. And to me, it's the best songs too, like as a group. Um, because there's some variation 
there's some more of that like you know, modern rock stuff that we had in our guts, you know. Um, I think everybody kind of got a little bit of a chance to shine. I think Kevin like played the hell out of those drums. I think Joseph got to do some really cool stuff on lead guitar that like really expressed how good he is. Um, and he did, he got to do that on self-titled too, but I think we gave him a little bit more of like his lane for making things happen on, um, on cycles. And then, you know, from a vocal standpoint, like I feel like I crushed that record. Uh, I was also like taking vocal lessons for the first time ever to learn how to like not lose my voice on tour. So that had a lot to do with it. (laughs) Um, that, that record to me was just like such a nice scene change from what the, you know, what the self-titled was not because I I I still love self-titled. I think artistically that's our best record. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, as a whole piece, everything put together, like commercial viability, as well as like songwriting musicality production quality blah 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 like cycles ticks all of those boxes did you did you switch yeah. anything up from like a touring perspective then or were they, were they pretty much the same in terms of you know who you were going out with and, uh, and... no we we stayed we stayed with our with our ilk um i mean i think the tour we did off that we had the Somerset as our direct support okay. um so yeah i mean it, it trended like a little poppier than what we had done but i mean you know after the bubble, it was kind of like we were on an island. Um, we were still a scene band, but like no scene bands wanted to tour with us really, like right after, because it was like, ooh, the bubble right. band. But like, oh, yeah, and it wasn't like we really like went after that like full hard. I don't want to, you know, make it seem like we were shunned because I don't think we were, but it was kind of like a, yeah. eh, maybe you shouldn't, you know, because I don't really know how that went down because I'm not a, I'm not the booking agent who had to make those calls. Um, the promoters were stoked. They were like, yeah, you guys just were on national TV for like four weeks. Like, yeah, you're good. Here's your offer. But then like trying to find people to do it with us was like, okay, this is weird. (laughs) Um, so that, and then even trying to like go up, I mean, because that was the thing, like we could still tour on our own and headline and that was fine. But like trying to jump up and be like, hey, like maybe we can get like on tour with like, you know, a Maroon 5 or a Foo Fighters or something like that was that was the tier up that we were trying to jump to. That wasn't happening because it was like, wait, well, you guys just did this bubble thing that's cool, like right on, you're in our like, you know, now you're in our universe that we can talk about, but you know, you don't have like millions of record sales to back it up. So what are we going to do? Or like a bunch of radio success. So we're kind of like in this weird like purgatory in the music scene. Um, so we just struck on right ahead <laughs> doing our own thing, which I guess would be kind of like the the through line for all of Cartel is, you know, world be damned, we did exactly what we wanted to do. And I, I guess from that point, it, it, kind of things started to, to simmer off for you guys, kind of what what mm-hmm. what was what was driving that? I mean, was it like a collective? Did, was there like a, a point or was it just a kind of slow kind of, um, I guess, disbandment or? I don't know. Did you guys actually ever like officially break up or anything? I'm oh sure. no, dude, we're we're still a band yeah. right now. Yeah, I know you are now, but <laughs> did, was there was there a point during uh, you know the last five Mm-mm. five years no. where you did that? No, you kind of just stayed. Essentially, what happened? So after you know, so wind up like they loved that record too. We were all on board. We went and busted our ass on a radio tour, um, just like me and Joseph in a van. Um, with the radio reps flying around the country, going to different radio stations and playing Perfect Mistake on uh, on the radio. Like, did okay. I forget what that got to. I think it was like high 20s or low 30s or something. Not great, but like fine. 
um it was tough times like yeah. you know fallout boy was sort of like falling off not like success wise but i think they were in between uh record cycles and then um you know like the big artist at the time was like kesha so like you know not really relevant to cartel <laughs> you know it, it, it was kind of like you know a very uphill climb to get radio success at that specific point i think if like fallout boy or like another like you know rock band like my cam even had like been killing it at radio right when we were trying to do that it would have helped out a lot but it you know it didn't happen and we thought that you know their whole thing with wind up was like okay we know how to like work your band finally you're with a label that knows how to work your band so we're going to do perfect mistake then we're going to do uh faster ride because faster ride's a little less like punk it's a little more like pop rock and then we're going to hit them with only you as the ballad and it's going to blow your band up because that's going to kill at top 40 and then you're going to have all this stuff underneath it that says like yeah you're still a rock band but this is your like power ballad and i was like hell yeah let's do that yeah. And then obviously none of that actually even happened because it right. was just like, you know, it changes hands. You know, people are like, oh, it didn't do as well as it's supposed to. We don't really want to put all this money into it. And it was just like, but the plan, what about the plan? Like we never actually saw the plan through. So how can you say it's a bad plan? Um, and then, the, you know, the the head guy, Wattenberg, you know, we still talk to this day, but he's like, you know, hey, man, like, why don't you, you know, why don't, what, new cartel record. And I'm like, okay, what you thinking? He's like, you know, what if you guys like go a little bit more like gin blossoms, like tone it down a little bit to where we could actually work it to radio to pop and do all that sort of thing. And I was like, man, that's not really us, dude. Like we're, you know, turn it up and kick ass. And he was like, yeah, but like, you know, rock radio, like, you know, the guys I talked to there, they're like, yeah, you know, the band's good, but like his voice is too, like, it's too clean for rock. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. You know, like Freddie Mercury, like Bon Jovi, like all these dudes, they had clean voices and they're like rock gods. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, it was just kind of one of those things like, all right, well, you know, like he's like, I figured that'd be your answer. And he's like, and I totally like understand like that's what you should do. But like, we're not really going to be able to move forward. And it's like, OK, cool. So now we don't have a record label um, unless we do music that we don't want to do and fuck <laughs> so we kind of all had like a you know a, a talk and we we're just like you know what do we want to do are we gonna like you know you know sell out or change or like or are we just gonna like keep doing what we're doing and diy this thing and just say screw it like we're gonna put the records out ourselves and just try and that's what we did so it was like we did yeah. in stereo ep and then we did collider um which i'm really proud of collider i think we did a good job on that record um yeah, I, I really like collider i mean yeah like, you know yeah it's um it's not on um, streaming streaming services over in in, in in the UK. I don't know if that's that, that's Dude, part of it. Tell me about it, man. It, like, it's hard enough to be a musician, it, it, especially now. God. Yeah. But like, why streaming services and like independent distribution channels want to make it so unnecessarily difficult? For artists to be able to get their music into the marketplace is beyond me because like we're already getting screwed on the payout right you know like this is the most thankless job from a monetary perspective that you could ever possibly do um notwithstanding like janitorial or janitorial services like that's a thankless job for sure but yeah. that that right there kind of leads to kind of where we got to the point where it's just like frustrating for us because we tried really hard we did the collider thing and it's like we you know and then we even like sort of like shopped it out to labels like hey like what if we go back into like the indie world with like you know you know try a fearless a hopeless a rise yeah. uh, you know all these sorts of things and kind of put it out there and it was just kind of like yeah you guys are kind of like you know like you've been there done that like it just seems like we'd be signing like 
you know, a band whose career is like already kind of over. I'm like, but we're not done. Like we can still put out records and go tour. Like we don't have to sell out 2,500 cats to like make yeah, it work yeah. for us. I'm surprised like a hopeless wouldn't, I'm surprised like a hopeless wouldn't have picked that up. Dude. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. That, exa- exactly. Like it's, it's a weird, we all, we've always sort of been that band that has, gone like between the cracks for better for worse like we've you know made our way into you know major label stuff where we probably wouldn't have at any other point in time because of like that that lava story and for us i mean we're kind of like and i don't mean this to be salacious or even like uh controversial but like sitting in our chairs from like what we've done and the decisions we've had to make and We'd be talking all day if uh, if I gave you the full rundown of like all the decisions at the time cartel's career. But like, right. suffice it to say, for us, like we feel like we have every decision we've ever made and just kind of how we've operated our band has always been the most punk rock thing that we could possibly do. So because it was very like much DIY rebellious, like nah, we're not going to do that, or like yeah, we're going to do that, we're going to take the risk because it's the hard decision. You know, like the easy decision would be to like, no, don't do the bubble because everybody's going to pan your band for it. It's like, yeah, but like we could stay here and like play to 800 people and, um, you know, get labeled this like guilty pleasure, you know, versus like a serious rock band. We could we could do that or we could actually try to like take it to the next level and show people that like we can do more music than just you know like baby don't follow you know like we can do we can do more serious things not that that's like an unserious song it was you know a poor example but you get what i'm saying um we can use minor chords you know what i'm saying um so uh you know that would we always felt like we were trying to do the thing that like was as true to our current selves as possible. So like when we went pop, we went straight pop and we were all about it. Like lose it. It was like, yeah, man, let's go for it. Let's do it. And we were all on board, you know, but then, you know, we also have songs like um, lonely one on the same record, or even like uh, if I were to write the song, it's like all like weird, like silver chair type, like chords. And it's like, all right. Yeah. Same thing. But we're like, you know, we're all in every time we do it. So that's, that's how we've always felt our band was. So when we got to, you know, we did Collider and it's like, okay, cool, right on. Then it was like, all right, well, I'm going to start like producing records because I like doing that. And we're not touring enough for me to really like make a living. And we're not, um, is my daughter on a microphone trying to sing. Um, she hates me singing, but she'll, she'll sing her own stuff all day. Um, so yeah, like we, you know, then it was kind of, it was like what 2014 so we're like yeah the chroma tour is like next year probably so like let's just like not tour this year and make it like you know let's build up a little momentum of like anticipation um so we do the chroma tour and then like pretty much right after that is when we found out that my wife was pregnant with little miss sophie here and i was like well i'm not going on tour i'm not gonna miss that yeah, yeah. you know so we um and then nick like got married and um he and his wife had a baby so it was kind of like, yeah, we're going to be like parents. And Joseph started touring uh, with Third Eye Blind. Um, and then, uh, you know, Kevin opened up his bar. And it was like, yeah, like, let's be adults and like live real lives for a little bit. Um, so was your, I was yeah. going to say, was your kind of personal journey always kind of, you had production in, in your sight straight away and it was straight into that? Or did you have a bit of a, a break? I think I've just always been interested in it. And it was like, you know, you know, I, I produced um, and you know helmed the board for uh, for all of Collider, 
Um, I didn't mix it, yeah, but I did all that stuff. So it was like, all right, yeah, like I can, I can do this. So like, and this is a lot of fun for me. So like, let's go make records with people because it's something I can do when we're not on tour, we're not making our own record. And then it sort of started just becoming a thing where I was like, well, yeah, I kind of dig this like no touring thing. And, and being in the studio all the time, because I, I, I just love being in the studio. That's always been my favorite part of being in a band, is not playing shows or being on tour. It's making music in the studio. Okay. Um, because it's kind of like having an idea in your head as like the guy who was like writing the songs and like kind of, you know, um, yeah, I, I would say like a close allegory for people. Um, you know, Elon Musk. He had the Tesla car in his head at one point, and then he's get he gets to drive a Tesla now. You know, like right. that sort of thing, where it's like yeah. I have this song in my head, and now I get to make it happen, and then I get to hear it be done. That's where, like, you know, you can't you can't replace that feeling of like accomplishment. We're just like, yes, like this worked out. <laughs> you know like this idea sounds exactly how i wanted it to and even the challenge where like you know sometimes the song doesn't turn out how you want it to and you're like ah it's a dud you know damn it so having that like that razor's edge sort of thing like it's gonna suck or it's gonna be awesome <laughs> you know like yeah. that's yeah, kind of like of its own little challenge in the studio so yeah it's, it's always been my vibe so what what's been your kind of highlights is it from a production point of view or kind of artists you've worked with or, or ones you're working with now i guess you want to maybe give a shout out to or have worked with recently yeah i mean we um obviously like the newfound glory stuff is like some weird like dream that i never really had <laughs> yeah, come yeah. true i was never like <laughs> i want to produce them one day it just like ended up working out and it's like oh this is crazy yeah that that last record which i, I see you worked on as well was i thought was like their best in years but so uh yeah forever and every time infinity yeah yeah I think, man I think I'd, I'd love to take awesome. some some like tiny form of credit for it but i just did a bunch of editing on it um okay steve evitz like ended up being a um a friend from he mixed uh the from the screen to your stereo three and we right. just like talked about like stuff because i'd be like hey man like you know you got some some advice or some input on like these sounds that I got, like you've been making records for like 20 years. You made a lot of my favorite records, like let's yeah. rap, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we ended up becoming buds and then he was coming to Nashville to do the record with them. And he's like, Hey man, I like, this is going to be a lot and I can't do it all by myself and keep up with the pace that they'd like to keep up with. I was like, yeah, man, I'll help you out. So I ended up just doing a bunch of editing, like vocal production stuff. Um, and drum production stuff like i didn't really touch any of the guitars and stuff like that but yeah i yeah i'll take my like honorary grammy or whatever that people get <laughs> like with it's like you know best technical production or whatever like in the oscars and it's like yeah sure okay like i just like chopped up vocals and made sure things didn't clip but yeah cool <laughs> i'll take it <laughs> anyone anyone else on the radar though what i'm most like stoked on is just the the variety of different bands that i've worked with um because i never really wanted to be pigeonholed like ever as an artist and especially not as a producer um so I'm a big fan of like the goalkeeper record that we worked on. Me and Kevin from Hit the Lights worked on that. Oh, um, um, that, that that's bad research for me. I didn't realize that you worked on that as well. Um, yeah, nice yeah, I was. Yeah, in, there's a lot of buzz about them at the minute. Yeah, yeah, they're dude, they're great guys, man. And like those songs are so much fun. And like me and Kevin, yeah. I mean, Kevin was the producer because um, he had worked with them on their other record. But then yeah, he moved yeah, to Nashville yeah. and was like, "Hey, man, like, because I've worked on some stuff with Kevin before his little side project." Um, and 
uh, he was like, dude, like, I like working with you. Like, can you come in here and help me do this thing? Cause like, I don't know anything about actually like making a record other than like the way songs should go and like recording techniques, but I don't, I don't twist knobs. So I'm like, yeah, dude, let's do it. Let's hang out. Um, so then, you know, we ended up working with those guys. I was like, yeah, this turned out to be like a ton of fun. And then obviously like Seb from uh, neck deep mixed it. So, um, yeah, all, all like kind of little, a scene like triumvirate there, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> putting their hands yeah, on that record. Um, yeah. That was a lot of fun. And then, you know, obviously that's like more in like the same cartel world, but I worked with a band in the past called the team, uh, called team, um, which was Caleb from forever, the sickest kids, uh, as the right. singer. Uh, and that to me is like still like one of my favorite things I've ever worked on. Cause it's just like, so like Caleb's a very, very talented, like, but kind of out there, like thinker from a musical standpoint. Um, and that was just like so much like fun. It was just very adventurous and like, you know, we didn't have anything of a budget. So we're just kind of like shoestringing this thing together as much as possible. And it turned out to be like the thing that, you know, I've worked with a couple other artists that were like, yeah, that team record's what made me want to work with you. I'm like, that's crazy. Cause like, that was literally like a bedroom recording that we like managed to make work, um, except for drums. So they were a lot of fun, a band called Hydra Melody. Um, I think they put out a really good record. It's called Nocturna. Um, they're a great band. I don't think they really do anything anymore, but, um, great band nonetheless. And then, uh, what else? Oh yeah. A band called the Foxies that's here from Nashville. Um, they're doing stuff, uh, currently they're, they're very active. Um, well, you know, not during COVID, but yeah. Uh, so Hold on a second. My daughter's about to rename a hard drive and I can't have that happen. There we go. All right. Let's move this keyboard so you don't mess up all of my file directories. Thank you. Um, so the Foxies, they, uh, they're a, a three-piece um, singer's name is Julia. She's like, if Debbie, Harry, and Gwen Stefani had a baby, um, that would be her mixed with like a oh, little wow. bit of... Okay. Yeah, dude, she's really cool. And they, but their sound is like, it's so, like, it's modern, but there's a lot of like, I don't know, it's almost like a little bit of a Joe Division vibe sometimes. It's really cool. So I highly recommend people um, check them out. Nice. Cool. I guess before we wrap up and we'll let you go and um, tend to your daughter, I mean, what's, what's yeah. your, what's your uh, I mean, your ambitions now for, for Cartel and, and Torrids? Is it Torrids, do you pronounce it? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Torres is basically like a that it's a it's a pet project because I've like Cartel has always uh, produced songs in the writing phase that ended up being like stuff like Torres. Um, so all of those songs like it's sort of been around for a while, um, but you know obviously like aren't Cartel songs. <laughs> so uh, that ended up being like sort of a. Um, a project of love between me and um, two other dudes that were in the studio uh, that other producers in the studio, I should say. And so now it's kind of become like its own little band. We're actually working on a new EP right now. Um, I don't know exactly when that'll come out, probably early next year, I would imagine. Um, but yeah, I'm super stoked on that. And then um, you never know. I mean, you know, this time period is like throwing off, throwing up a bunch of different things that we could do. I mean, I know Joseph and I were very keen on, um, kind of trying to get something going with Cartel, like a couple, you know, some maybe some new songs. Obviously, yeah, we're gonna, like yeah. play some shows and see what happens. Um, you know, like my my daughter's old enough that I don't necessarily feel like I'm missing out, like on you know, like baby life and things like that. That sure. you know, you turn around two days later and you're like, you're completely different. Um, not that we would. 
I'm still like not going to go do like crazy touring or anything like that uh, for that reason. But um, certainly can be more focused on something like Cartel where towards, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm going to put music out and maybe we'll play some shows and we'll see what happens. Like there's no pressure, but like Cartel carries a lot of uh, uh, pressure. There's just a lot like, you know, there's a lot more involved to doing cartel music, you know, <laughs> we put out a new, we put out a new single or put out a new record. And then all of a sudden there's like, you know, all these interviews and then you got to do photos and then you got to do a website, you know, there's just a lot more involved. Whereas towards it's like, yeah, man, I just put out some music. Cool. If you like it, cool. If you don't sick, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but still you should listen to towards cause it's, yeah. we're, we're doing some cool stuff. I think. Yeah. No, um, I've listened this morning. It's quite electronic. electronic kind oh of yeah. 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 yeah wholesale different from cartel but yeah i mean it's kind of like i'm like radiohead is in my top five bands of all time um as well as like like beach boys like pet sounds era stuff um like all the experimental things like most of my all of my favorite artists pretty much in the top five pantheon are all like boundary pushers and like something different so that's kind of what I want to be able to do with Torrids. It's like, I kind of want to screw with your head a little bit. Like, um, like the song permanence on that record. Like it's a very twisted sort of rhythm, even though it doesn't sound like it. So like trying to just like, and obviously a lot of this is coming from a production mind. Cause I'm like, wait, he's counting it like this. And then he plays the drum. Whoa, that's kind of cool. And then, you know, just like the subject matter in general is a lot more like mature and, um, kind of more like world conscious, like kind of delving into some of my more personal beliefs and feelings about, you know, life and how we live it sort of thing. Um, which is like not the place for cartel, you know what I mean? Um, so that's, that's really like, it, it, it's nice to be able to finally have that like um, schizophrenia that I can really, you know, make happen yeah, musically. Yeah, yeah. It's like, all right, cool. Like Mommy, I can do cartel stuff. Mommy's here. Go say hi. Go say hi. Big fun. Your relief has arrived. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, she hasn't been that bad, honestly. I was, I was kind of fretting no, it. I'm like, okay, been, here we go. No, it's, been, it's been cool. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, just being able to like have an outlet for those types of songs, I think, will be fun. Like moving forward and potentially working on some new cartel stuff, I mean, which we are working on. It's just kind of like, is this good enough? Like, should we do this? Like, what, what, what's all involved here? You know, um, how, how much are we going to have to make this work? Um, it, it'll be fun because then it's like when I come to write cartel songs, I can like fully, you know, commit to whatever, you know, direction that cartel song is because I'm not like trying to also like satisfy, satisfy this like urge to be like as creative as I possibly can be um, yeah. or imaginative in like chordings or like, you know, voicings or like rhythms or things like that. It's like, nope, don't have to do any of that. Like, cause I've already got that, that itch has been scratched with Torrid's. And I will continue to scratch it. And so now when I do cartel stuff, it can just be, you know, it can be what it's supposed to be. Cartel. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, we'll look forward to hearing it when, when you know, you manage to get something out there. But, um, For sure. We'll, uh, you know, we're taking plenty of time. So um, we'll let you yeah, get man. back to your, your Sunday and your family. Um, but yeah, thanks. Yep. thanks. Thanks a lot. Of course. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, we'd love it if you could subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your podcast, whether that's iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or any, anywhere like that. Um, also, check us out on social media. 
if if you just search for wasting time podcast on instagram or twitter or facebook give us a like or a follow on any of those and also we love hearing from listeners as well so um, feel free anytime to drop us an email at the wasting time podcast at gmail.com or obviously you can message us on social media as well but um yeah we'll catch you next time for you to arrive